Welcome to Chapel of the Lake in Lake St. Louis, Missouri. The Chapel family is a multi-generational community of believers who gather weekly to worship and explore God's Word as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as Pastor Keith Spa opens the Scriptures. Well, good morning, family. As we begin our time here, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for this morning already. What a good time it has been as we have uh, worshiped together in communion. As we've heard this report from, from the Browns, we're grateful for our partnership with them. What a blessing to be, to, to see what you are doing in uh, areas of Latin America, out in, in uh, very remote places. You're raising up men and women to go and to work and to, to share the gospel and raise up the next generation of believers. We're so thankful that you are busy at work around the world and the privilege you give us here in Lake St. Louis to be partnering with folks all over the globe as you are raising up for yourself a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation who will gather around the throne one day in glory, honoring our Lord Jesus. How we look forward to that. May we be faithful doing our part where we are sharing the gospel of Jesus, as well as partnering with those who are in places where we cannot be or, or simply are not, as they work doing their part. Father, now as we come to your word, we're grateful that you have given us a sure word, a certain word, to instruct us, to teach us, that we might know you better, that we as well might know how we are to live as your people in this world until our Lord Jesus returns. So guide our study this morning. May we not be those who simply hear, but those who take what you have to say and we put it into practice. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, and open to the book of Philippians. And Philippians chapter 4. We began a couple of weeks ago a, a study here in Philippians 4, and we noted at the time that in the very first verse, verse 1 of Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul calls for us to stand firm, to be people who don't waver in our faith, who don't compromise but people who stand resolute and confident and who live out our convictions, who live out our faith with integrity and with consistency. Here in uh, the last couple of weeks, I have replaced some fence posts, taken out some fence posts that were rotting and put in some new ones. It's good, hard, back-breaking work, so I made sure that I, I waited till the hottest days of the year before I tried that. And as I was putting them in, I wanted to make sure that these posts, you know, don't, don't end up leaning over in the days ahead, that they really are solid. And I was using a process I have not used before with concrete called dry pour. And so I spent some, some time uh, on the internet looking up instructions as well as reading what the concrete maker had suggested for that to make sure that I do it right and they stand firm. 
As the Apostle Paul calls for us to stand firm, he doesn't just say, stand firm in the Lord and then good luck, you know. (laughs) Bye, guys. He says very clearly there in verse 1, stand firm thus. Stand firm in this way in the Lord. And then follows it up in the next verses with seven commands, seven instructions that help us, that that give us information on how we are to do that. So he doesn't just leave us hanging going, well, here's something I need to do, but I don't know how to do it. Here are seven things which will help us, and that is the basis of our study, has been for the last two weeks, and will continue so as we finish this study on Labor Day weekend. And so we saw the first of these commands two weeks ago where it says that we are to agree in the Lord and we call that we are to stand together. Secondly, the second command and the second key to helping us stand firm, it says in verse 4, we are to rejoice in the Lord. And so we said we are to be joyful. And that brings us today to the third command and the third of these keys And we'll find it in verse 5. I want us to read together this this instruction, this command. And since we probably have a lot of different translations, I'll put it up here for us to read together from the screen, from the ESV. Let's read together. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And some of you, quite a number of you, probably have the the NIV, the New International Version, so let's read it from that as well. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. You read that and you say, you know, Pastor, this really is a, a simple verse. It's straightforward. Why does this really need a whole sermon? And I could say, you know, it probably doesn't. We'll just close our books and go home. And some of you would love that, get an early dinner, but you know that I won't do that because I always have to blabber for a while. Of course, the reason is I think there's some important stuff for us. Some of you, you'd have to be old like me to do this, but some of you can remember 35 years ago. That definitely puts you in an older category. 35 years ago, it was campaign season, which it feels like now, though that's actually not till next year. supposed to be. But it's already started. But in the campaign season, George Bush was running for president. And if you might remember, he was saying he was, he was going to work hard to create a kinder and gentler nation. You remember that? How'd that go? I'd say, you know what? That really didn't happen so much. I don't remember it then. And in the decades since then, it has only gotten worse We have become a less kinder, less gentler nation, growing more and more polarized politically, more and more polarized ideologically, more and more polarized culturally. It seems very often to me that the the most caustic and most vitriolic voices that are out there are those who call for tolerance. I think most of us would love to see more of this reasonableness, more of this gentleness that this verse calls for because these qualities are in short supply in our world. And quite frankly, I think they are often in short supply in the church of Jesus Christ. I think this verse 
I also think it's important to spend a little time on this verse because I, I think it tends to get overlooked. Kind of like the typical middle child in a family. You know, the, the first child tends to get a lot of attention and they tend to be a little more uh, opinionated and take charge and bossy, to be frankly, speaking about my older siblings. And then there's the young sibling, the young, irresponsible, loud, party-hardy sibling, and they tend to get a lot of attention, and the quiet ones in the middle kind of tend to get overlooked. Well, this verse is tucked in between rejoice in the Lord always, last week's verse, and next week's verse, which is do not be anxious, do not worry about anything. Those tend to get a lot of attention, and this one we look at and go, eh, uh, be reasonable, got it. Be gentle, got it, you know. We look at this and we say, you know, I'm a reasonable person. I am not an angry, screaming, yelling, vitriolic person, at least not on Sundays in church. <laughs> not, a, not a crazy person running around. And, and most of us would also say, I'm a gentle person. After all, I don't belong to a gang. I don't beat up people randomly just for fun. I'm not violent. I don't go about vandalizing property and scaring little children and kicking cats. I am reasonable and I am gentle. But I think there's more to this little verse than meets the eye. When we dig into it just a little bit, what we discover very quickly is that this command to reasonableness or gentleness is a multifaceted command. It has many sides to it, many angles to it. You see, when you start looking at this, you discover that the Greek scholars say that the Greek word here for reasonableness and gentleness is a hard one to translate precisely into English. That there's not one English word that really does the job. And so when you look at the ESV, the, as in our Pew Bible, it says reasonableness. And when you look at the, the NIV, which was for many years our Pew Bible here, and which many of you have, it says gentleness. So does the New King James Version and the Net Translation. But if you look at the Christian Standard Version, it says graciousness. If you look at the New American Standard, it says gentle spirit. If you look in the King James Version, it says moderation. If you look in the New Living Translation, it says considerate. If you look in Young's Literal Translation, it says forbearance. And we could go on and there's a few more. What you realize is that there is similarity between some of these words, but there are different nuances and that's the problem with this, wor this word. There are many different nuances. And so it's not quite as simple as we think. There's not just one word that just fully grabs all the concepts, at least not without explanations. <laughs> so I tried to take all of those together and tried to figure it out. And I realized I needed some help. And so I looked in, into more resources. And one of the resources people look is how was the word used in ancient times, in Bible times? Aristotle had something to say about this word. Aristotle said that the Greek word here 
refers to the opposite of someone who is precise as to his rights. The opposite of someone who sticks to the letter of the law. Vine's Expository Dictionary says this word means fair, moderate, forbearing, not insisting on the letter of the law. Practical Word Studies in the New Testament says this word goes beyond treating someone with justice. It treats a person graciously and tenderly. Wiest's Word Studies said this word means being satisfied with less than one's due. So in my studies, I tried to put all this together. How do I sum it up in as little as possible? And I came up with it's dealing with others graciously and gently, not insisting on our own rights. Reasonableness sounds so normal. Of course I'm reasonable. I'm not an unreasonable person. It just sounds so normal. Gentleness sounds so gentle, so mild, so innocuous, so whatever. Okay? But this, on the other hand, is really something quite radical. It's much more than just not being violent. It's much more than just being nice. This is calling us to kindness and grace with people who have they've offended us. They've mistreated us. People who have violated our rights, and we are to give them kindness and grace. It's kindness and grace for people who don't live up to our expectations. With people who just aren't what we expect them to be. We expect them to be nicer. We expect them to be kinder. We expect them to be smarter. We expect them to be faster. Or people who don't give us what we think they owe us. The reality is we're conditioned by our own selfish nature as well as by our culture. We are conditioned to fight for our rights. And this is weird. This is unnatural. It's even un-American. In America, we, we tend to persist in declaring our rights and insist on getting what is due, on what is owed. It's what we are, it's who we are, it's what we do. But the Word of God calls us here in this little verse to graciously yield, to graciously give up our rights to others. That is radical. But it's not a new thought. It's not a unique thought here in the Word of God. And it's not even a new thought in this little book. If we just go back two chapters and we won't turn there, we could spend the rest of the morning just there. But Paul in chapter 2 calls for you and I to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, to follow his example. And he brings up that call following this instruction. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but 
also to the interests of others. We're very good at looking out for our own interests. We're not so good at looking out for what really do they need. And we are very good at placing a significance on ourselves, and we are not very good at putting others as more significant, more important, as a priority over ourselves. But that's what it calls us to do. And then it says we're to do this because it's exactly what Jesus did And it lays out what Jesus did that we pictured here in communion a moment ago. That's a good read this afternoon, Philippians 2. So what Paul has done here is to lay out for us a third command, a third instruction in our list of the instructions that we need in order to stand firm in Christ. The way I've summarized it, just to put it in two words, We have those first two commands. This one is to be gracious. To graciously give up our rights. There's a story that's told about Abraham Lincoln. Back in the days before he became president, when he was living over here in Springfield, Illinois, as a lawyer. It says that one day that a man came in to Abraham Lincoln, and he was a rich man. And he wanted Abe Lincoln to file a suit against a man who owed him money. It was in a different day and time. The amount that was owed was $2.50. Nowadays, just a phone call with a lawyer will cost you about 100 times that. But he wanted to go to the law. He went to the lawyer and said, you know, would you file a case and uh, sue this man for my $2.50? And Abraham Lincoln didn't want to take the case. He, he hesitated, but after a second thought, he agreed. He said, I'll tell you what. I'll take the case. I'll do this if you pay me my fee of $10. The man quickly agreed and, and gave him the money. And Abraham Lincoln went to the poor man and said, I'll offer you $5.00 to pay your debt of $2.50. The man was like, yeah. Took the $5, gave Abraham Lincoln the $2.50. The man now, Abraham Lincoln now went to the rich man and gave him his $2.50. The rich man had his debts paid. Abraham Lincoln had $5 and the poor man had $2.50. We we listen to that story and we go, that's insane. Who is that silly? Who is that vindictive that it cost him $7.50 to get his $2.50? And yet when we look in the mirror and we take it out of the realm of money, what we see is maybe we are like that. Because when it comes to the rights of our stuff, when it comes to the rights of our time, when it comes to the rights of our space, when it comes to the right of our peace and quiet, when it comes to the rights of you know, our right to be happy, when it comes to the rights to have our needs met, our right to have our desires met, to be fulfilled, when it comes to our right to be respected, how persnickety do we get 
to trying to demand or enforce or get our rights. There's a lot of us when we look in the mirror. There's a lot of us in that foolish rich man. How eager are we to claim our rights? Our days are filled with people who step on our rights. It happens every single day for most of us. Somebody steps on our right. They wrong us. They irritate us. Our sister borrows our stuff without asking. The neighbor's loud music disrupts our right to serenity, to quiet peace. The driver cuts us off and interrupts our right to drive down the road with our, you know, our speed set on cruise control. We don't have to touch anything. We just cruise and that guy cut us off. Our wife or our husband interferes with our right to get somewhere on time because they took extra time getting dressed or watching something on TV or whatever and Our coach or our teacher or our boss interferes with our right to receive the credit or the position that we deserve. That insolent jerk cuts us off and takes the parking spot that we had our eye on. Even had the little blinker on, you know. We'd just been circling the lot there for ten minutes and there it is and he takes it. We are to give up our rights and be gracious to people who don't deserve it. That brings us to another reason why this is needed. And this needed a whole sermon this morning. Because the application of this, putting it into practice, is very hard. It's very difficult. Notice the next phrase. He says, let your reasonableness be known to Everyone. Be known to everyone. Well, that's a pretty hard job. I have to let the whole world know how reasonable I am. Now, what he's not saying here is that in that moment when you have this, this little flash of graciousness and you give grace to someone, you know, that piece of cake is my piece of cake, it's the bigger piece. But I will graciously give it to you who don't deserve the bigger piece. (laughs) But because I am so gracious today, I'm going to take a picture here. (laughs) And we're going to post this on Facebook. (laughs) We're going to post it on on Twitter. You know, I'm going to put it to to Twitter. Give it a little tweet here. So that the world can know that I am reasonable. Gentle and gracious. That's not what he means, says, let your reasonableness be known to all. As if we needed to know that, but sometimes we we think that's maybe what he's trying to tell us here. No. What he's simply saying is, this should be so characteristic of us. It should so define how we relate to other people, that it should be evident, it should be apparent to everyone. It should be known to all because it is what 
everyone around us experiences in their dealings with us. That that's what we're known for. That's convicting, isn't it? As followers of Jesus, this is how we are to be known. It should be evident to everyone that we are gracious, gentle, reasonable, self-sacrificing people. This is needed, isn't it? This characteristic is needed in our marriages. This Christ-like characteristic is needed in our families. This Christ-like characteristic is needed in our church. It's needed in our workplace. It's needed in our school. It's needed there. And we, as followers of Jesus, are the ones who are to be that way. Which raises a, an important question. And almost every time I've ever shared this concept with anybody, this question comes up. And if you haven't raised it yet, you will when you start thinking about what we've just been asked to do. Does this mean that we're just to let people walk all over us? Does this mean that we should never protest? That we should never, ever complain? That, that we should never seek justice? That we should never file a grievance? I think it's a great question. Don't you? Because have I said anything so far that the text doesn't tell us to do, that Scripture doesn't call us to do? But if we put this into practice, this is radical. So does it mean that it's wrong to say, that hurts, stop that, (laughs) don't do that, file a complaint? to seek to get a debt repaid. You know, truthfully, the more I thought about that this week, the more I realized I don't have the answers to that question. Not to every situation and how it works. I I don't have one simple answer that answers all of that. When I look at the Word of God, I look at the Scriptures, I don't find where it forbids us from seeking justice. When I look at the Scriptures, I don't see that it forbids us from trying to collect a debt which is due. I am sure the more that I look at Scripture that there are times, there are places, there are circumstances, there are manners in which those things are appropriate. But I also look at the Scripture and see that it's very clear here and other places that you and I are to be people of patience. You and I are to be people of grace and people of mercy. Grace and mercy, where we give people good when they don't deserve good. We give people what they don't deserve in a good way. And that what this text is saying is that, for sure, is that this characteristic of gracious gentleness should be such a part of your life and my life as followers of Jesus Christ, such a part of our nature that it cannot be missed by anyone. So the question is not, 
Do I think I'm a gentle person? Do I think I'm a reasonable person? Do I think I am a gracious person? The question is, what do they think? In their experiences and their dealings with me and you, if we ask your husband, if we ask your wife, what would they say? If we ask your children, if we ask your parents, if we ask your neighbor, if we ask your classmate, if we ask your cubicle next-door neighbor at work, if we ask your boss or your customer, if we ask that waitress, if we ask that parking attendant, if we ask that mechanic, if we ask that store clerk, you know the one I'm talking about? The one that's slow, the one that's difficult, the one that's grouchy, the one that's whatever, if we ask them, will they say, that's a gentle person, that's a reasonable person, that is a gracious person? What if we ask your enemy? Now, you shouldn't have enemies. You shouldn't be at enmity with other people, but sometimes you can be perfectly good and have enemies. Jesus had enemies, people who hated him. Not one of his enemies could deny that he was a gracious person. So it should be with us. Pastor, this is convicting stuff. I agree. How can we possibly do this? Why should I do this? Well, because it's part of the commands here about how to stand firm. But let me point something out. There's one more phrase in the verse. What is it? It's, what does it say? Go back. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand, or the Lord is near. Hmm. May I suggest that right there in that little phrase, we find both the motivation and the means. How do we put this into practice? Why should we put this into practice? Because the Lord is near. As I wrap us up this morning... Let me point out three reasons why the Lord's nearness here moves us to be gracious people. First of all, because it's He is near to us because of His grace. We are in a relationship with God, not because we are so loving, not because we are so lovely, lovable, not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it. We are in a relationship with God because of grace. The right time, God sent his son to die for us while we were still sinners. We read early in Romans 5. It's grace. What we deserve from God was punishment. What we deserve from God was death. But God did not exercise and press his right to demand of us what he deserved from us. Instead, he sent his son, Jesus, who took the penalty of our sin upon himself and offers to us grace if we will simply trust in him. As people who have received that kind of grace, what it says of us, 
is we should be gracious to others. God brought us into his family, made us his children, so he is our father, we are his children. How can we not give that kind of grace to other people? He is near us, we are near him because of grace. The Lord is at hand. That grace should be given to others. You read Matthew 18, there's a great parable Jesus taught about that very thing. Another thing about his nearness, he is near to us in his care. You see, our God, our Savior is near us. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you to the very end of the age. No matter what is going on in our life, no matter how badly people treat us, he is there with us. He knows us intricately inside and out. He knows every circumstance in our life. He knows all of what is going on. He knows how people treat us and mistreat us. Our God who knows us is also the sovereign Lord of the universe. There is nothing outside of his ability and outside of his care. We can be gentle and kind with those who don't deserve it because the Lord is near to us. He watches over us. He watches out for us. He is our defender. He is our provider. And so we can give grace even to our enemies. He is near in his care for us. One last thing. I go back to the verses right before this passage here in Philippians 4. We, we said that Paul calls us in, in verse 1 to stand firm in the Lord. But the reason for that, he says, therefore, and it sends us right back into the verses before. And what we have at the end of chapter 3 is he says, our citizenship is in heaven and we await a Savior from there. You see, he is near in his return. We're waiting for a Savior to come, and He is coming. His coming is near, meaning it can be any time, any moment. He's coming back soon. And when He comes back, He's taking us to our real home. Our citizenship is already there. We're just not there yet. We are here in this earth, and while it may seem like a long time, let me tell you, as a guy who is now an an old geezer, I realize, at 67, now some of you are older than me, you say, that's not very old, but... Let me tell you, the folks here who are 15 and 12 and, and 20 are going, 67 is pretty old, dude. <laughs> and I join with Moses who wrote in Psalm 90, it goes like that. It goes like that. We're not here very long. And here's the point. Our citizenship is there. And this world and everything in it is passing away. And it is passing away quickly. We can let our rights go because we're waiting a Savior from there and He's coming quickly. And when He comes, He will judge. When He comes, He will repay to everyone what is due. When you look at the end of the book, look in Revelation, the last chapter, I am coming quickly and I will repay, says the Lord. We don't have to fight to get what's right. Let it go. Don't sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the temporary stuff. We get our eyes focused on all the wrong things. And that's when we get our underwear in a bunch. 
That's when we get all upset and we get all in a dither and we get mad and angry and we stomp and spit and spat and may God forgive us. We don't stand firm in the Lord because we don't live as the people he's called us to be. He calls us here to be reasonable, to be gracious, to be gentle. Let's pray. Father, this is convicting stuff. It's hard for every one of us in this room to hear it because we live in this world where the world says, you better stand up for yourself because nobody else will stand up for you. And you better get your rights. And, we, and it's, unreal, it's unreasonable. It's weird to do anything different than that. And you call us to something very different here. Even when we do collect a debt or we need to, to try to seek justice, it should be with different attitudes in the very least. And so much of the time, it's things we simply should let go. Father, this is convicting stuff, but I pray that we will, we'll, we will follow after the pattern of Jesus, not after the pattern of our culture, not after the pattern of our world. That you would help us to stand firm in Christ in these things. To do that, Lord, we need your help because we recognize this is not natural. But I pray, Father, that you will. That you would so change us from the inside out in these things that people won't look at us and run from Jesus because they say, if that's what Jesus is like, I want no part of him but rather that they would look at us and say, if that's what Jesus is like, I need to know Jesus. Father, may we here at the Chapel of the Lake, may we, people who are watching this on video, may we be that kind of person because of your great love for us. Make us like that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May God bless you as you grow in your walk with him this week.